Hey, this is Carl Franklin. G'day, Richard here. And uh, this isn't a typical Two Keto Dudes podcast. This is just a sort of an update on the state of Keto Fest, which we announced in the last show. Yeah, we'll do a full podcast if we get enough tickets, but uh, let's update you on the status of Keto Fest. Right. We have enough tickets to do Keto Fest, so that's the good news. We do. We want more, obviously, mm-hmm. because uh, there are people that we're going to have to pay out of pocket right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't do a Kickstarter this year. No, nah, that's right. Yeah, we we bit the bullet and just said we're doing it no matter what. Yeah, we so, need this. <laughs> yeah, we all need it. I think everybody needs it. I think the community in general needs something. And, you know, we've just gotten through two years of pandemic and mm. we're about to go through some financial distress and uh, – Mm-hmm. And we need a we need to pop our heads up and take a take a breather for a bit, and I think that's really why we're doing Keto Fest. Yeah, yeah, we need to recharge our batteries, and let's talk about the community for a minute. Yeah, the shows that we've done since the pandemic, we've sort of stressed how we have this feeling that everybody in the, the keto community, including us, mm-hmm. sort of you know put on some pounds during the pandemic and are finding it hard to get back in the swing. And yeah, it is hard. It's the hardest yeah. thing that we've ever had to do in our lives. And this might be holding people back from wanting to go to Keto Fest to be in a public place because, you know, body shaming and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking to you if this is how you feel out there. Mm-hmm. Keto Fest is the one place where you can go, be yourself, no matter what stage of your journey you're on. If you've gained some weight, if your blood sugar went up, and you want to come down again, Keto Fest is not a place where just the victors do their victory lap and say, I met my goal weight, I'm no longer diabetic. Mm -hmm. It is a place where it's safe for everyone who's on this journey to go Mm -hmm. without fear of shame or blame or any of that. And that is just such an important message. I mean, the whole thing about Keto Fest is it's it's a large. We're essentially turning New London ketogenic, and so we got all the restaurants involved with producing ketogenic food. Our goal was to create an environment where people who are on their ketogenic journey could come to a city and all of a sudden feel like they weren't the the weird ones in town, right? That's you know right. that, that that it was normal, and so um, there are all kinds um, that that go to Keto Fest and. Um, it's, you know, it, I, I remember the first Keto Fest. So this is, uh, telling a little bit of tales out of school, but, uh, <laughs> we had a speaker who, um, who dropped out at the last minute of the first right. Keto Fest and, and he was a significant speaker. And mm-hmm. so it, it was, it was a basically a smack in the face when it happened, right. um, for, for us. But, you know, we, we persevered. We found an excellent replacement speaker. That was Nick Mailer. And he did a wonderful talk on masturbation and for which I'm very <laughs> grateful. So, um, so, you know, so, so it all worked out in the end. And keto, the first keto fest was, it was a lot of hard work. Um, there were a lot of people involved in getting it up and running. Uh, you should also mention that the, the speaker who dropped out dropped out because he had a heckler. Yeah, so so he had a public heckler who's who bought a ticket and publicly told everybody that she was going to show up and she was going to mock this guy. She was going to show right. up in the front row and she was going to mock this guy. And what she didn't realize is it's it's not that kind of conference. No. Um, my plan was to sit right next to her and mm. heckle her from the seat right next to her. 
So the minute she got up and made some fatuous claim, I was going to put her on notice. But anyway, it didn't yeah. end up happening in the end. No. As soon as the speaker who um, didn't want to be mocked, and I don't blame him. I don't want to be mocked either. But that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't actually. I don't care. You mock me, mock away. Go for it. But <laughs> yeah, I don't care either. But it, it is going to happen, and you, we probably the community probably already deals with this. I mean, every yeah. time you go shopping. And your cart is full of fatty meats and stuff, and people look at you sideways because of your size, yeah. not knowing that you've already lost a lot of weight by eating, right. you know, meat and fat. Um, and you just don't have the time to explain things. So people are going to throw stones at you. They probably you. Everybody who's listening has probably experienced this yeah. at least once or twice. I remember I was in Zurich at a conference, and I got up and asked a question, and I said, and I'm. And the reason I'm asking this question is because I'm a type 2 diabetic. A formerly type 2 diabetic is reversed their yeah. disease. And Mark Hyman came over to me and he said, you said you've reversed your disease. What what evidence do you have of that? And I said, well, my HbA1c went from 11.2 down to 5.2 and it's been there for six years. And he said, yeah, but you're still fat. <laughs> And, Great! What a nice guy. Huh? This is Mark Hyman's a very famous doctor who should know right. better. He's the the head of the Cleveland the head of the Cleveland Clinic, and right. um and and he said, well, Eric Westman doesn't agree with you, and so he brought Eric Westman over, and and I said, well, what do you reckon, <laughs> Eric? Have I have I reversed my diabetes? He said, yeah, he's reversed his diabetes. When Richard started, he was a hundred pounds heavier, and Mark Hyman went, oh, oh, okay, right, yeah. To be honest, I lost 100 pounds in the first six months and I pretty much went up or down by five or ten pounds ever since. Right. Um, I'm, I'm currently, after the pandemic, I'm, I, I, I gained about 20 pounds, but I'm still 80 pounds down from my starting weight. Right. Uh, and I've just started to reduce those 20 pounds now. I'm, de- I'm, I'm currently sitting at uh, 10 pounds away from my, my, my lowest during mm. the journey. But that wasn't the point. The point, I, I've never been into this for weight loss. I've never wanted to be a diet guru. Um, mm. I've never wanted to teach people how to lose weight because I don't mm-hmm. particularly don't care about it as long as I'm not diabetic, not losing toes. Right. Um, that that's been my primary goal. And you know, my HbA1c has been five point two for eight years, and so um, yeah, I'm going to take a victory lap. And Absolutely. if Mark Hyman ever hears this, um, <laughs> yeah, enjoy, that's, buddy. This is, <laughs> this is what happens. But they, you know, yeah. even doctors will. We'll do that. So people look at you in your current state, which is probably going to be obese or overweight, mm-hmm. and they'll say, "Oh, well, you know, you're you're still diabetic." My my mother claimed yeah. I was even after losing eighty pounds, she would my my um my daughter would be talking to her and oh yeah you know and she's complaining about my mother's complaining about to my daughter about all the fat I eat, and mm. my daughter says, "Yeah, but he's no longer diabetic," and she goes, "He's still diabetic." Right, I mean, right. Just don't know. Yeah, she could just you see know, it. Fat doesn't the equal diabetes. diabetes. Just no. And you're still down quite a lot of weight from your starting weight. And yeah, I mean, I put half of it back on. I lost eighty pounds. <laughs> I literally put forty pounds on during the pandemic. Yeah, but you got long COVID. <laughs> you had well, COVID for like three I, months. Yeah, I had I had COVID for a good long time. And as a matter of fact, the, my sense of taste and smell didn't come back for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. So we we have this safe zone. It's called Keto Fest. If there's one place that you can go, that's where it is. And even on Facebook, when we announced Keto Fest, we got a lot of great oh, comments. Yeah. yeah. But we also got one comment 
from one guy. We're not going to use his name, but we thought the response to him wasn't wasn't in the spirit of uh, the two keto dudes. So, Richard, you want to tell that story? Yeah. So, the, so this guy uh, commented uh, on the the thread. So we get, we're we're introducing the fact that we're doing this keto fest, and uh, mm-hmm. and because because it was on Facebook, we're going to get a lot of people who. Don't know who the two keto dudes are. Don't even know right. about keto. We had a couple of people say, "How different is this from Atkins and things like right. that?" Mm-hmm. So we had one guy there um, who said it's not sustainable long term. I lost a hundred pounds and I gained most of it back. Yeah, and that does happen mm-hmm. to some people, and the reason why is because they go back to eating the way that they ate to get to where they were. So right. of course. You know, it's not sustainable as a crash diet for losing weight, nor has it really ever been. It's not something that you do for a couple of weeks, get down to your fighting weight and then go back to eating donuts. You know, that's not how, that's not how it works. (laughs) Yeah. And the longer you go back to eating the old way and the, you know, donuts and stuff, the the longer it's going to take for you to get back in to a place where you feel comfortable and not hungry and exactly. you reap all the benefits of the ketogenic diet. So so I, I said, you know, I've just passed eight years in ketosis, so it's pretty long-term for me. Mind you, the alternative was the worst symptoms of type 2 diabetes, so I've got a good mm-hmm. reason to stick to it. Um, I, now, I, I, I suspect this guy may be diabetic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've got nothing to go on but the, the photograph, his photograph uh, on his profile for Facebook, but mm-hmm. – um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say that everybody who's fat is diabetic, but you know, I, I, I suspect if he's going up or down a hundred pounds when he goes on a ketogenic diet and goes off it, then that suggests that there's some underlying pathology. But anyway, sure. Um, I said, you know, I also lost a hundred pounds with trace 20 during the pandemic. Still, while 80 pounds is nothing to sniff at, not being diabetic is gold. Yeah. This is my essential argument. But anyway, there was a to and fro, and I, I suggest people go read it because it, you know, there, there's some some interesting stories. Because there's a lot of people mm. saying, you know, I've lost seventy five pounds and kept it off for three years. And yep, yep. somebody says, you know, um, uh, uh, pretty much, I think he was the only one who said I tried it and it didn't work. And right, right, the right. reason it didn't work is because he stopped trying it. Um, but uh, he got a comment. Now, where is this comment? Yes, somebody said somebody. There are a few nasty people in the post saying, you know, put down the put down the donut fatty. Yeah. And somebody said, um, I'm not gonna mention the woman's name, but said, uh, the problem was you didn't learn portion control. Like oh, you such know, a, mean a ketogenic thing to diet say. is going to teach you portion control. Yeah. And here is my comment. Portion control is not something you can learn if half of your fuel is inhibited from being converted into energy. Exactly. Someone like like this guy, or like me when I started, who was a frank type 2 diabetic, who is a chronic hyperinsulinemic, is constitutively inhibited from transporting fatty acids across their mitochondrial membrane to be used to make energy. So half the fuel they put in their engine sloshes around their body, unable to be used for energy, only stored for a day that never comes. It's the ready availability of energy from fuel that's the essential measurement required for portion control. You can't Get portion control if you can't hit satiety. That's right. A a fat man is hungry all the time. And 
it's not because the fat man lacks self-discipline or he's lazy or doesn't know how much fuel to put in his body because perhaps he didn't perhaps he didn't get the memo of how much a portion should be yeah it's because he doesn't have enough energy um, no the reason is because he he's running out of energy he's running out of energy all the time right if your brain doesn't have enough energy that's not a good thing <laughs> It's not a good thing. He He's fat because he's unable to use fat for energy because his insulin is high six hours after the last meal and two hours right. after the last meal he's run out of glucose. So he's running out of energy and he needs a snack to get him through. So he eats a snack and up goes his insulin again. You know, mm. um, th- this uh, – this f- Vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah. This fat man, I should mention, is running out of energy several times a day while being obviously in a body swimming with excess fuel. Mm. But here's the thing. If you get insulin low for at least a few hours of the day, suddenly you have energy between meals and the time between meals extends and you eat less during meals and you have so much energy that you start using it for more daily activities. There's nothing magical about portions when your energy availability is coupled to your appetite. Absolutely. We're used to getting nasty comments and most times they're kind of dumb and sometimes I have to just <laughs> emit a wall of text because, you know, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. But And I appreciate that because that is the keto dude's way. You know, we yeah. instead of, you know, telling people that they're nasty and they should go away, uh, you know, we educate them. Mm. We use it as a teaching experience. You know, right. th- for every for every person who writes a post like that, there are hundreds of people lurking who never post, and right. there are right. hundreds of people. There's an opportunity every time somebody says something dumb. There's an opportunity for me to get to a hundred other people who have not meant not posted anything in that thread. So yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, that uh, long story short, there's this. You get you're going to get a lot of nasty messages when you when you try anything, and um, there's a lot of people wishing for you to fail. And um, my attitude is they can go get stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> like a chook. <laughs> like a chook. <laughs> and I will not be stuffing a chook for the cooking demonstration at Keto Fest. I'm going to do salt-crusted pork belly. Well, speaking of that, let's talk about mm. the schedule and how it's going to go down and sure. uh, all of that. So we already mentioned that we've got a, a full access pass available which gets you in the room with the speakers mm-hmm. and everybody who has the general admission, they have access to everything except being in the room. And that's only because of the limitation of the size of the room. And the VIP party the night before as well. That's right. The all access pass, get the VIP party the night before. The VIP party. And the speakers are going to be there mostly for the VIP party as well. I think yeah. all of them have said they want to be there. Excellent. So, Excellent. Uh, yeah. So uh, 8 a.m., we're going to open registration at RD86 on Golden mm-hmm. Street, 86 Golden Street in New London, Connecticut. At 8.45, Richard and I, yes, Richard's going to be there. He's flying from Australia. I'm going to be there. Ticket's already bought. Yeah. Yep. I'm getting I'm getting my second booster tomorrow to make sure that, that I meet the qualifications to enter the United States. So. Yep. That's that's what it is. Okay, so mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do a f- uh, a welcome, mm-hmm. and then at nine oh five is our first talk by none other than Dave Feldman. Yeah. Now Dave Feldman, his talk is called "A New Fleet of Boats: The Lipid Energy <laughs> Model Simplified." The Lipid Energy Model is finally published. Yes. So Dave has been working on a big paper. Yeah, several big papers, but yeah, and a big study. Yeah, and we actually talked to him recently. So if you just go down a few shows, 
you can hear uh, the, all about his research. But he has been head down. Like, I went to visit, and he's like, I can only say hi. I'm head down. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we should mention the theme of the whole Keto Fest because Dave's talk ties into the, the Absolutely. And the theme is? The theme is fat is good for the heart. Fat is good for the heart. Which That's is a right. bit controversial. Um, but we hope it. to we hope to substantiate it with science and our speakers. Most of our speakers are on this subject. Uh, some are peripherally on the subject, but mm-hmm. Dave's talk, for example, is talking about the observation that um, uh, lean people who go on a low carb diet see an increase in their low density lipoproteins, which have which are um, associated with um, not necessarily causal. But associated with cardiovascular disease, and That's right. um, uh, there has been plenty of studies showing that, in fact, it's not all LDL. LDL but we're only for most people we're measuring all the LDL. But when you actually measure the specific density of the lipoprotein particles, when you do a subfraction analysis, it's only the stuff that's really small, dense uh, LDL, which is uh, associated with, with cardiovascular disease. Right. And for, mo- for most people who go on a low-carb diet, that's not the LDL that goes up no. if it does go up at all. But in the case of lean people, it appears to go up uh, quite often. And so Dave's looking into this. And it's quite possible that Dave may have – uh, a, a, a new model for how we should understand LDL that um, in 10, 20 years' time will be the, the common understanding. So it's very exciting, yeah. I call him the Galileo of the uh, of lipids. <laughs> it is very exciting, and I'm, I'm so honoured to have been around when he was doing mm. his research because I think it's going to change the world. Yeah, at one of the Keto Fests, we actually had an experiment at Keto Fest where yep. everybody um, uh, got their got their lipids done. Well, there was a whole bunch of us who signed up to do Dave's experiment that he mm-hmm. ran at Keto Fest. We were all fasting for a couple of days, got our lipids done, and then we had Keto Fest, and then we went back at the end of Keto Fest. So we actually got to see <laughs> we got to see the effect on our lipids from uh, doing a Keto Fest. That's right. So that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm I'm going to have a t-shirt that says my LDL is light and fluffy. How's yours? <laughs> Buoyant and nice. fluffy. All nice. right. So Dave's going to do his talk for an hour and mm-hmm. everybody who's not in the the room with Dave will be able to watch it on their phones, on their iPads or on televisions that'll be all around the place in yep. 86. Which nice. by the way, we're cordoning off the street. We're blocking off mm-hmm. the street. Yep. And uh, we have kitchens for demos inside, and we also have big smokers outside where ribs and brisket are going to be smoking all day. So it's yeah. going to smell amazing. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a block party, uh, sort of inside a science festival, a science conference, wrapped in a food festival inside another block party. <laughs> that's how I that's how I describe Keto Fest. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. That's what Keto Fest is. So after Dave's talk, he's mm-hmm. going to come down to the street level and he's going to do a Q and A. Yep. Uh, during and there's a ten minute break right there. Mm-hmm. Then at ten fifteen, it's Richard's cooking demo, and you said you're cooking crispy pork belly. Now for Salt those crusted pork belly, yeah. Yes, for those who don't know what the Keto Fest cooking demos are, 
a portion for everybody is going to be cooked in advance. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to show you how to make this. And this is something that I cook probably uh, at least once every two weeks. Mm-hmm. It lasts for two or three meals. So two or three meals every every two weeks um, right. I eat this pork belly with coleslaw. So I'm going to show how to uh, how to cook how to how to take a pork belly with skin on uh, with the bones out um, and show you how to prepare it and cook it. It takes about an hour and forty five minutes to cook. Mm-hmm. The whole demo is not going to take an hour and 45 minutes because right, sure. I will, of course, have some I prepared earlier and show you how that process works. So, And then at the end, I'm going to s- cut it up into little cubes and everybody's going to get a, a, a taster of it. So, uh, Absolutely. So hopefully that'll be a technique you put into your uh, into your toolkit. And by the way, we are going to have coffee all day So with heavy cream. Mm-hmm. So, yep. you know, you're not a freak. You don't have yep. to ask for heavy cream. There's going to be no skim milk, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so then there's another five-minute break. So your demo is going to be, what, 20 minutes, right? Yeah, about 20 minutes, yep. Yep, and then there's a five-minute break, and then the second talk, which is Amber O'Hearn, mm-hmm. and her talk is on ketogenic diets, sleep, and satiety. Nice. And her abstract is, sleep and metabolism are tightly connected in part because hunger and wakefulness have overlapping mechanisms biochemically. Mm. In this talk, I will go over experimental data showing what ketogenic diets do to sleep quality and quantity and how that might relate to some of their therapeutic benefits. Some questions I'll address are how satiety and sleep quality interact, what relationship is between sleep deprivation and ketogenic diets, and why the same intervention appears to help both narcolepsy, Mm -hmm. a disease of the inability to stay awake, and depression a disease often associated with oversleeping. Right. And uh, she is also going to, you know, talk about the metabolic uh, consequences of, you, you know, people who are on a ketogenic diet and how that affects their sleep as well. Yeah. I, I honestly think that uh, sleep deprivation was how I got diabetes because for about huh. 20 years, so I'm a programmer, a software developer, or I used to be. I'm now a biochemist apparently, um, but <laughs> I used to be a software developer and it was a very competitive business uh, back in the 2000s when I first moved to the States. Mm-hmm. I was up against a lot of competitors and how much code we could produce in a day was the mark of how productive we were, obviously. Right. and. I was able to get by on five and a half hours of sleep every night, and mm-hmm. that was my competitive advantage. I would have two and a half hours mm-hmm. um, over all of my competitors of extra coding time to be able to get stuff done, and yeah. I did that for 20 years and then became type 2 diabetic. So uh, I'm re- personally really interested in hearing what Amber has to say because she's always thoughtful, always well, well-researched, and uh, presents an interesting analysis. So... Um, and it, usually she's actionable. Usually what she'll she'll do is she'll give you things that you can take away and use almost immediately. So after Amber's talk, that's going to go to 11.40 uh, an hour, and then there's going to be a 10-minute break, and she's going to come down and do her Q&A. And then at 11.50, I'm doing my cooking demo, which is Kitoki Fried Chicken nice. with biscuits. And we're going to serve the same slaw that Richard has. So Kitoki Fried Chicken, for those who don't know what that is, um, was the most popular and the most uh, attended keto mini fest that I've 
ever had. And I've been doing these at my house ever since you know, Keto Fest started. Basically, in the local New London area, I have a, a group of people and, and I basically do like a, I don't know, 20 to $50 for admission. And you come and we, we cook together. We eat a lot <laughs> and we have a, a guest call in. So it's just a mini fest, right? Yeah. Kentucky fried chicken was by far the most popular. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not going to give away exactly how I cook it, but are there 11 secret herbs and spices? Yes. That's the important thing. <laughs> Is one of them sugar? No. Because there is a competing fried chicken recipe, and one of its ingredients, one of the secret herbs and spices, is sugar. Yeah, we don't need no sugar. No, we don't. Need Why no do you sugar. need sweet chicken? I, I mean, don't know. Yeah. It's secret. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Kentucky Fried Chicken is, yes, that herb and spice mixture, but it starts with par-cooking the chicken in the oven, just at 200 degrees uh, and you know, until they get almost cooked all the way through. And then what we do is we let them uh, rest a little bit. And then I coat them in keto chow chicken soup flavor. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of acts as the, the flour when you flour something you're going to fry. Yeah. Then it goes into an egg wash. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into uh, the mix of the mix of pork rinds, crushed pork rinds. Parmesan cheese. Like a panko. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the secret spice mix. Right. And that gets deep fried in tallow. Yes, RD86 is draining their normal peanut oil or whatever they have in their fryers. And we're going to fill up the fryers with tallow. Yes. Nice. And going to deep fry those. And of course, they'll be fried in advance. They'll be frying while Amber is talking. Yeah. But uh, by the time you get there and you you know watch the demo... Uh, everybody will get a piece of chicken. Nice. So if you've picked up on it by now, we're going to feed you all day. Yeah. So somebody in the th- in the thread on Facebook said, "Wow, that's two hundred dollars. That's way too much for a conference." And, right. And I'm like, "Yeah, but how many conferences do you, do they feed you?" Like that's right. And good food. Fest. Look, it, if Keto Fest is not the conference to go to, the, the Keto Fest day, that's not the day you're going to lose weight. <laughs> it, <laughs> that's not the goal. The goal is to Enjoy yourself and enjoy keto food and enjoy being around keto people. Enjoy learning new things about, uh, about the science of ketogenic diets and, uh, and, and be comfortable in your own skin. Be comfortable in your own skin. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. So after that cooking demo, which will be 20 minutes, there's another five minute break. And then the third talk, which is from Siobhan Huggins. Right. And Siobhan has been doing research into lipedema. Not lipidemia, but Ah. lipidema, what it looks like and how keto might help. Yeah. So her abstract says, lipidema is a frequently painful disorder affecting the fat and lymphatics and almost exclusively impacts women. Despite not being an uncommon disorder, it is frequently underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed as simple obesity. This talk will walk through the telltale signs of lipidema, what it looks and feels like, and how to differentiate it from obesity. Along Mm. the way, a model of what may cause lipedema will be discussed, as well as how a ketogenic diet may be uniquely suited for management, reducing pain, and improving quality of life for those with lipedema. 
So lipedema is it often happens in women. It's often often in the lower body, but in some women it happens in the arms as well, mm. where um where you lose weight everywhere else, but there's this one spot that you don't lose weight. Right. And the reason probably is that your body can't access the fat there for energy. It's not it's no longer an energy storage tissue. It's a metabolically inert tissue that you can't get energy out of or or it comes out slowly. But your body can access the other fat on on around your body. it. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. You see this in some people who they go on a diet and and their waist size cinches right in mm. and they lose weight in the upper half of their body, but their legs remain um remain large and the reason why is because um, they can access the fat in the upper body, upper part of their body to use for energy. They can't access it in, in specific parts of the body. So this is interesting because, uh, yeah, Siobhan described for me the, what, what the texture should feel like. And I can feel some of it around my belly. So, you know, it's, and that's an interesting thing because if you can't, if you have a part of your body that has fat on it that doesn't seem to want to shift. Stubborn body fat. It could be the reason could be you just don't have vascularization to get to it to take metabolites out of it. So, yeah, I, this, this is going to be a fascinating talk. Wow. All right. So then uh, at one fifteen, there's a 10-minute break, and Siobhan will come down and do her Q&A. Now, all the people who have the regular ticket, they will get uh, – the Q&A is, is outside of the presentation room. Right. So, you know, everybody gets to uh, – to ask questions of the speaker. Mm -hmm. um, it's just if you have the all-access pass, you get to be in the room when the talk is done. If you don't, then you, you can watch it on TV or on your, sure. on your phones or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So then the fourth talk happens at 125 by none other than Dr. Eric Westman. Nice. He, Eric is the OG. He Eric, is the OG. Stephen Finney and Jeff Wallach are the OGs Yes. in ketogenic. Um, space. I mean, it, it, Eric is both a clinician and a scientist. He's done a lot of the basic research. He has also uh, worked with thousands of people doing uh, doing weight loss. So uh, he has probably forgotten more than most of us uh, know about uh, ketogenic diets. So, right. And you made a comment that Eric remains one of the most reliable sources of practical information on ketogenic diets, both as a scientist and a clinician. I'd like to associate myself with that comment. <laughs> yeah, you made it. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, so he was, if people don't know who he is, the, he was the first scientist to do science on the Atkins diet. He was. Yeah. And in fact, and he co-wrote the Atkins New Diet for a New You book. Right, yeah. So uh, his talk is called Keto is Good for the Heart. Mm -hmm. And while I don't have an abstract yet... He made a comment that uh, there was strong evidence in a particular case that a ketogenic diet reversed heart disease. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's going to be fascinating. Fascinating. And I mean, th there is there is a lot of evidence supporting that it's not necessarily bad for cardiovascular disease. But the problem, of course, is any time a type 2 diabetic goes to their doctor and say, uh, especially an obese type 2 diabetic, mm. goes to their doctor and says, Doc, I'd like to try this ketogenic diet thing because apparently um, it can help with type 2 diabetes. And the doctor will say, well, yeah, I mean, 50% of people on a ketogenic diet, according to the evidence, reverse their type 2 diabetes. But my worry for you is that 
type 2 diabetics are also quite prone to cardiovascular disease. Right. And you can't eat all that fat. If you yep. can, if you eat all that fat, then you, then it can only damage your heart. And right. I I I don't trust it. Well, this presentation from Eric is going to put that to the question, put that mm. to the sword, and we will see. And um, because th- this is the this is the last real barrier to type two diabetics being treated by their primary care physicians. Right. Um, to reverse their disease instead of just trying to manage manage its inevitable downward progression. Absolutely. So after Eric's talk, um, we're going to have an hour break. Now, right. inside this break, you have Eric doing his Q&A. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've got uh, Julie Bagel. Julie Fox yep. McClure from Vermont, mm-hmm. from uh, Fox Hill Kitchens. She is going to do a cooking demo of mushu pork with mushu nice. pancakes that you can Ooh. make in a microwave in 90 seconds. Keto pancakes in a microwave in 90 seconds. Keto mushu pancakes. So they're like flat mushu pan. They are essentially mushu pancakes. And uh, she's going to do the stir fry for you. She's going to have pancakes. Everybody's going to get one. She does a hoisin as well. Yeah, she has her own hoisin. Nice. <laughs> and uh, believe, believe me, uh, she's come down to my house several times. And the last two times we cooked these and they were just wow. Just wow. Wow. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. So another thing that's happening at 225 in this hour break is poster sessions. So naturally, we're used to having 10, maybe even 15, 16 speakers at Keto Fest, right? Yeah, because we have two stages and we can yeah. do it over two days. And but this is one day, so we had to limit it to, to five speakers. But other speakers who have spoke before wanted to come anyway. So yeah. we invited them. Peter Ballerstead is one. Nice. He's the uh, Ruminati guy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Dr. Tro is coming. Dr. Tro, nice. Yeah. There's a couple of others who've indicated they're, they're interested in coming. So um, uh, I think Nick Mail, Nick Mail is going to try and come all over. He's coming all the way from London, so it's, right. it's quite an ask. But uh, Yeah. And also somebody approached us about doing a uh, session for uh, – doing a, a poster session for on reversing diabetes in honour of Sarah Hulberg. Um, and Adele Height, who yeah. passed away just a couple of months ago, yeah. and um, and these two women were very influential um, in setting up what has eventually become the ketogenic community. Mm. And so, I, I I really would love to do that. So, um, so we're going to do anything we can to try and get that to happen as well, which would be good. Yeah. So, what the poster sessions are is that these people, Peter and others, will have tables. Outside in the street, you know, where the street party mm-hmm. is, and they'll have a poster board with, you know, yeah. a marker. Like an easel with a poster an board. An easel on. with yeah, a poster with, board. With slides on it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can pick your favorite ones and gather around and uh, and listen to what they have to say. And you can do this while holding a plate of mushy pork. <laughs> yeah. Or a leg of kutoki fried chicken or some pork belly, right? Yeah. Or or some of the brisket that we're cooking up. Some of oh, the brisket. That, well, that's coming later. Now, oh, that's coming later. Right. Yeah, that's that's okay. got to smoke all day, my friend. <laughs> okay, nice. All right. So then uh, the fifth talk is at three thirty, and that is mm-hmm. who? 
Nina Tyshold. Nina Tyshold. <laughs> Nina, as you know, wrote um, uh, the Big Fat Surprise, and yeah. and her central thesis was that the evidence supporting removing saturated fat from the diet was not very good, and in fact. Um, saturated fat turns out to be quite protective in some cases. Mm. She's going to give a, a lot of the evidence uh, and talk a little bit about the nutrition. Uh, she also ran the Nutrition Coalition, so she's right. going to talk about the effort to try and get the nutritional guidelines uh, to change mm-hmm. because, as you know, you know the, the nutritional guidelines in America um, determine the guidelines for all of the English-speaking nations, and That's so right. we're all beho- beholden to this nutritional guidelines, which are – based on fairly faulty evidence. So she's going to talk a little bit about that and the progress of that fight and how long that fight's going to take and what we have to do next. And and um, and, and her book and her research that she talks about in her book is kind of juicy because yeah, it is. she uncovered these like cover-ups uh, within yes. the government of, you know, payola from grain companies and, uh, yep. you know, buried yeah, buried studies and and all sorts of shenanigans that went on in the government to support this, you know, grain-based pyramid. And the food guidelines affect the military, affect schools, affect hospitals. And as you said, Richard, all of the other English-speaking countries follow the lead. Yeah, affects Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, England. Canada. Yeah. Yeah, Canada. Yeah, Europe. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. It's uh, it's going to be a rousing talk. And, you know, she hasn't spoken outside of Zoom conferences and stuff for the whole pandemic. She just got back from one in the UK, but that was her first time. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be an amazing talk. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, so then there's a 10-minute break after her talk. Now it's 4.30, and at 4.40, Richard and I are going to do a wrap-up. We'll probably give yep. away some swag, you know. I would think so. Maybe some yep. bacon. As we normally do, some <laughs> bacon. Are we going to have a bacon bar? Of course. normally at Keto Fest we have an all-day bacon bar. Yeah, of course there's going like to be bacon. unlimited bacon. Bacon out your ears. Bacon. <laughs> now at bacon 5 o'clock, it's party time. So we're going to have music, the ribs and the brisket will come out, and, nice. uh, you know, some some libations of the keto kind, I'm sure. And uh, that's just going to go till whenever. Now, what happens after that? Uh, who knows? I mean, if you yeah. don't fancy ribs and brisket and none of the uh, food uh, suits your fancy, there's places that you can go locally that have, you know, wings and steaks and yeah. things like that that I'm sure you'd like. But uh, ribs and brisket are going to be smoked all day. And uh, oh. at five o'clock, we'll finally be able to enjoy them. Nice. Now that well, that sounds like a good day is a party, my friend. That is a party. <laughs> that is a party. Yeah, wrapped in a science conference. Yes, inside a food festival, <laughs> wrapped up in another block party. <laughs> <laughs> Going to be fantastic. Well, anyway, I think so. Get your tickets, please. Go to ketofest.com. And if you can't make it and you want to just watch the stream, the streams are going to be amazing. And that's mm-hmm. a fifty dollars ticket. So, at the very least, you can get that, and everybody else, uh, go get them. And thanks for listening, and thanks for for being our friends through all this. We we know we made some enemies. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. Me too. I make the best enemies. (laughs) I make a really good high caliber of enemy. (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, before we sign off, we should talk about a, a contentious requirement that uh, yeah. we got a few, you know, nasty grams about. Yeah. And it's about vaccination. So we're requiring vaccination. Yeah. Proof of vaccination in order to get into Keto Fest. And um, I had to be vaccinated to fly back to the U.S., right? I have to be vaccinated to fly into the U.S. If yeah. it was in any other country mm-hmm. that was affected by COVID, then they all have like 80 to 90% vaccination rates. And the yeah. COVID um, uh, instances are low, pretty much non-existent. However, that's not the case in the United States, is it? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm literally getting in my fourth booster. I don't think I need a fourth booster if I was to stay in Australia, yeah. Um, because um, uh, you know, I I I uh, we have very low incidence here, and um, uh, up until recently, I mean, w- what we did was we locked down the entire country until we could get to ninety percent vaccination. Then we unlocked right. the country. I mean, that's the way that we all should have done it, and uh, that made a lot of sense. But let's talk about what happened in the United States, Richard. I mean, it right. wasn't very long after the vaccine came out that the anti-vaxxers started putting doubt in people's minds and a whole swath of the population isn't vaccinated because of that. And yeah. the ones that aren't vaccinated are the are the, the areas of the country where uh, COVID reigns. Yeah. Well, one of the things, so I did a, an assignment um, for uh, a, a basic uh, introduction to programming. <laughs> Believe mm-hmm. it or not, I did a subject introduction to programming. I kind of did okay. Um, and I'm sure you did. The assignment was to go to to read the data from one one world our world in data on vaccination and to try and predict how long it would take for countries that are least vaccinated to get to an 80% vaccination point. So I had to look at the actual curves of mm. vaccination for each country. It's called a sigmoidal curve or an S-curve, you know, that it starts off slowly as there's not a lot of vaccines, but then it starts to ramp and it goes up exponentially in a straight line until it starts to peak out at the point when you run out of people who still haven't been vaccinated. So it's mm. it's a normal logistic curve that happens in, you know, growth of bacteria or, you know, adoption of iPhones. There's lots of lots of things in the real world that follow mm. this curve. You probably would have heard it um, mentioned as a go- as a classic Gompertz curve from well, let's Whatever. not mention the guy's name. But <laughs> that's a new anyway, one I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, it's an engineering, it's a chemical engineering term. Okay. Um, the uh, so anyway, the but but this classic curve, what happens is once it starts to tap out, yeah. you know you've reached the, the number of people willing to be vaccinated. And in the case of Australia, that tapped out around about 83%. So mm. 17% of Australians were going to be really hard to get vaccinated. Mm. In the end, we got to, to almost, uh, we got over 90%. So, you know, but that took a lot of effort to get that last sort of 5, 10%. Right. In the case of America, that, that sigmoidal curve topped out around about 50%. Wow. So at fifty percent, the people who were who were vaccinating Americans had already run out of people who were willing to be vaccinated, and it was hard work from that point onwards. So you know it's it's uh, it's frustrating uh, because the evidence shows that um, adverse effects from the vaccine are the same uh, as adverse effects from the placebo. So uh, as and the same as the adverse effects prior to the prior to the pandemic. So uh, for just about everything except um, 
uh, myocarditis, which is a very small instance in very specific demographics mm. that can be given a different vaccine that doesn't cause the effects. So, um, so the, the, the warnings and, and protestations about the, uh, the negative effects of the vaccine have been blown way out of proportion. Yeah. And the other thing is that, and the, and the reason why we really think that we should be, um, uh, requiring people to have vaccines is our audience are type two diabetics, obese, middle-aged. These yeah. are all, um, comorbidities of this virus. Right. And this is, this is a target rich environment for this virus. So anything we could do to limit the chance that we could cause any of our, of our audience, um, risk, um, we would do. We're not requiring masks. That's up to you if you want to wear a mask. Uh, nobody will care whether you wear a mask. Nobody will tell you to wear one or not to wear one. That's entirely your call. Your You make your own risk judgment. But in the case of um, uh, vaccines, there's transmission is the problem. Right. Is what is the chance that I would go to a, to an event and, and not know that I had the virus mm-hmm. and give it to somebody in a high risk, in three high risk groups who could suffer severe disease and potentially death. Or give it to somebody else who could suffer severe disease. So here's the thing. I mean, most of the studies say, well, you know, uh, Australia is 90% vac- uh, vaccinated and the transmission rate is X and America is 60% vaccinated and the transmission rate is Y. And therefore we can directly compare X and Y mm. and say that vaccination does or doesn't change the transmission rate. No, you can't do that. That's the, that's exactly the kind of epidemiological malarkey that <laughs> that we used to use for for saturated fat. Now, right. here's what you do: you actually, so in the case of saturated fat, you go to the Minnesota, you do the Minnesota coronary study where you actually give people food that they don't know has saturated or unsaturated fats in it, right. and you see what happens to their cardiovascular disease. Mm. And when they did that, they found out that cardiovascular, uh, that saturated fat is actually protective against strokes, is neutral against heart attacks. And so here's what you do in a transmission study with a virus. You take two people, you lock them in a cage, you make sure that what you make sure that one is infected with the virus and the other is not infected with the virus, and you wait and see how long it takes for the person who wasn't infected to get infected. Yeah. Of course, that study is unethical. You wouldn't be allowed to do that. But the good news is it's actually been done. It was hmm. done in Denmark. And what happened is during the transition between Delta and Omicron, so this is really cool because it actually captured data from both Delta and Omicron, and we can see whether one is more transmissive than the other. And I bet you, I bet you if you asked anybody whether Delta or Omicron was more transmissive, they would say, Oh, Omicron's got to be more transmissive because it displaced Delta. But in fact, they found out that uh, they were equally transmissive. Wow! So here's here's what happened: that because everybody was locked down, and because Denmark is really good at doing a full PCR and not a a, a variant specific PCR, so they know which variant somebody has, mm. and they and they have good health records. Mm-hmm. They were able to see how long it took that when you had a, a family locked down and you were testing everybody every day, and then you saw the first case and that person isolated at one end of the house or whatever 
that they they chose to do, you could actually, because you were testing everybody every day, you could see how long it took for the other people in the house to get infected. So this is the only case of an actual transmission study. Wow. And here's what it showed. If the first person was vaccinated, so the carrier, the person who has the virus, is vaccinated, there's a 41% lower chance than if they were unvaccinated to pass it on to the next person. Wow. So if you're vaccinated, you're 41% less likely to pass the virus that you didn't know that you were carrying, if it was an asymptomatic virus, you're 41% less likely to pass it on to somebody else. Right. And it actually showed that if you were boosted, you were an additional 28% less likely to pass on the, the, the virus. Wow, that's the first I've heard of that. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's the only it's the only transmission study because to actually do that study, you have to do it with animals. You can't do it with humans. But right. because they had coincidentally locked people down into their houses and because they were already testing everybody as part of their public health policy, they actually were naturally doing the experiment, the unethical experiment. Well, wow, that's great to know. And if you're vaccinated, even if you do happen to get a breakthrough infection, uh, you're not going to the hospital. Yeah. And about how long would it take for that virus that you caught unknowingly to be not a threat to anyone else? So the thing about being vaccinated or being naive is if you let's say you're you've never met the virus, you've never met the vaccine. Mm. You, you are coming into this fresh and you get a, a, a infected with the virus, then what happens is your body says, "Oh, there's something I don't know. Mm. It's going to take me a while to make up uh, mm -hmm. some antibodies for that because it looks dangerous. Meanwhile, the virus is replicating in your body and now you're having to deal with the exponential replication mm -hmm. of the virus plus all the nasty payload. You've got a five-alarm fire going on and you're trying to build recognition um, uh, to the to the epitopes on the virus. But mm -hmm. once you've got that recognition, it, ta it takes something like uh, it's almost two weeks for the, for the entire process, but you start making uh, antibodies and you slowly get on top of it and you squash it. So now what happens is that you have high antibodies for a couple of weeks. It's, you know, maybe four months at max. Mm -hmm. And those eventually go away because if you have, uh, if you had high levels of antibodies for every epitope you ever met, yeah. um, you, you, your blood supply would be full of right. immunoglobulin to pollen right. to every mote of pollen you've ever, ever met. So this is normal. So the body has come up with a nice way to, to, to memorize those. Yeah, antibodies and what they are and how to make them, right? So it's so it basically sends it, 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 the cell cells that remember what the thing looked like go into germinal centers and they work out strategies for how could this thing possibly evolve. Let's make a recognition for all of the ways this thing could could evolve, and then next time you come up against this virus, what's going to happen is that uh, your memory cells are going to say, "Aha, we 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 know what this is," and and they spin up. Uh, uh, neutralizing levels of antibodies in two days. Right. So that's what happens the second time you, you meet the virus. You're probably only going to be feels have symptoms for two days, and uh, and the thing's done. Okay. And those are called B cells and T cells, right? That have those memories. So the T cells are the ones that take out the cell that's replicating. Okay. They have a different way of memorizing what the epitopes look like. Uh, the B cells are the ones that make the antibodies. So great. You know, the B cells go off, and memory B cells they go off, and they and they and they basically strategize. Is that a word? <laughs> George Bush came up with it. So yeah, <laughs> George strategic. Bushism. Strategic. It is. 
it's strategy. Uh, yeah. So, so that's that's a naive case. Naive, infected first time, make you make Not you immune response. Mean. This is this is infection as God intended. Okay, right, right. So let's see what happens when you get the vaccine. When you get the vaccine, you're just getting one of the proteins on the virus. Mm. You're not getting all 29 of the proteins. Mm -hmm. And so you only have to make antibodies for that one protein, and it happens without any viral replication. So it's only only the cells that are making these spikes um, are making these spikes, not and they're not right. making spikes that can then infect every other cell around them. Got it. Uh, which is the case with the the natural virus, and so the vaccine isn't going to affect anything except COVID. Yeah, well, well, it's 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 only going to affect the cell that it that that the mRNA transfects into. So, um, and that'll be taken out by the 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 killer T cells, uh, as it, as it should be, and then uh, within a couple of hours of getting the vaccine, the only thing that has changed in you is that you now have the memory of how to make these antibodies. Right. Okay, so let's say you come up against the virus. You come up against the virus, you only have to go through the two-day process because you already know how to spin up these, right. these antibodies. So so you basically, you're cutting, you're cutting to the end of the story. You're basically saying, well, I know how to make these and let's get this, mm. get, let's get this show on the road. But you haven't had to go through the gauntlet of the viral replication, the, the disease payload. Right. Um, and uh, and the, and the risk involved. So um, so so what it essentially means is that um, uh, uh, vaccination is going to mean you have less symptoms the second time round. You're more likely to avoid all of the bad payload, mm -hmm. uh, all of the the severe adverse events. And this is durable. This is like um, people who were vaccinated in the first week of the phase three study still today have ninety percent. Uh, protection against severe disease. So, you know, they, they can still get, they can get infected when they're neutralizing antibodies drop, mm. uh, but their chance of severe disease has dropped. So, you know, personally, uh, speaking as a, as somebody in the keto community, it's been disappointing for me to see so many people in the keto community who are here for the, for the, um, you know, the, screw the popo. They're they're here for here for the for <laughs> for the conspiracy and not here for the science. The science is, is clear on this that uh, the vaccine is a very low risk way to get prepared to, to meet this virus, and it reduces transmission, it reduces disease, and to tell people and there's no downside. There's well, yeah, there are some there are some people who have been. Damaged by by the vaccine because any time you have to make an immune response to anything, there's a chance that you're going to make you're going to accidentally make an immune response to one of your own proteins. But the incidence of that, the the chance of that happening to you is extremely low, isn't it? It is it is very low, but you know that a lot of kids who become type one diabetic became type one diabetic because they made an immune uh, recognition to the flu. Yeah. They had a flu. Yeah. And all of a sudden, their glucose isn't working. The reason why is because the antibody they made for the flu now is killing their beta cells. Right. So, you know, there's always a chance. Um, there are things like Bell's palsy. You could actually go out and meet the wrong piece of pollen, and all of a sudden, um, making an, uh, make an, a, 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 an immune response to it, and end up with the same kind of things that could happen from, you know, from uh, yeah, Bell's palsy or whatever. So the way I like to think about it is I have some friends who are afraid of flying 
because, mm-hmm. you know, they look on the news and every once in a while there's a horrible crash and, you know, 100 people, 200 people die. And, you know, that scares them. Mm. But statistically speaking, you have to sort of uh, lean into the science and, and understand your risk. And the yeah. risk of dying in an airplane crash, and especially relative to dying in an automobile accident, Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, you're probably more at risk driving to the airport than you are flying to London. Way more, way more at risk. Just driving in a car is way more risky than flying in a plane. Yeah. So you know, it's risk versus protection, and uh, we think that the the risk is low enough, and the benefit is high enough that. Uh, that's that's our rule for a keto fest, and we can all as a community mitigate the risk both to the community and to us individually um, through vaccination. And uh, so, you know that that was why we made the the requirements vac- uh, yep. vaccination. And in fact, our, our venue probably would have required us to if we hadn't made the decision. Yeah, that's so. right. So get the jab, come to keto fest, eat your brains out, have a good time, and uh, afterwards sit with the. Uh, Richard and myself, as we enjoy a scotch and a cigar, right? (laughs) And look, if you don't want to get the jab, there's the streaming option. That's right. So it's not like we don't have options for everyone. All right, Richard. Well, that's our show. That's our Keto Fest update. And uh, keep calm and keto on. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Carl. I'll see you in Connecticut at Keto Fest. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. (laughs) 